Hello, nerds, friends, librarians, all you ilk. Welcome to the SS Librarianship Podcast. Yay. Yeah, this is a fun one. Yeah, we just kind of, uh, it's a bit, I mean, it's a little ranty. It's a little freewheeling discussion. We talk about some badass action ladies, and then we rant about the absence of badass action ladies and other more diverse characters on TV and movies. Yes. It's good times. And then we, uh, I guess, I, I think I intended it to be more of a rant than it became, but we talk about technology and teaching and teaching technology and trying to like come kind of the challenges and anxieties that people have around Mm -hmm. teaching technology incorporating it into the library and into library work and into library learning opportunities yeah and 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 some of the you know challenges difficulties that we face and and you know how it can be really frustrating sometimes i think we're just i think we're just kind of venting yeah i think we've both had a very (laughs) long summer (laughs) and um and yeah but it's an interesting issue to explore and we're definitely interested in hearing from all of you about it as well yeah definitely so i guess then without further ado let's just get this one started i'm ali sullivan and it wasn't so much a wipeout as it was a controlled powerfall and i'm sam mills and yeah why don't you blow me colin Sally. What? What is on <laughs> your mind grapes? Well, I know that when we recorded, uh, okay, I guess a while ago now, mm-hmm. um, happy holiday, everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, we, you, you had already seen Spy. Yeah. And I had not yet seen Spy. And you wanted to wait to talk about Spy until I had seen Spy and I have now seen Spy. I wanted you to experience it. Yes. And um, it's great. It was a great movie. It was fun. <laughs> so it was wonderful. Funny. I, I'm I'm curious as to like why you didn't want to talk about it before I saw it because like I mean it was a good spy movie and it was really cool to see like representation of you know plus size woman doing cool shit and also being sexually attractive, which is something that's kind of nice to see. Yeah. Um, so I just had a lot of fun get. going into it, not knowing much about it. And I, yeah. I wanted you to have that experience too. It was, it was a great <laughs> movie. Um, and you know, it's, it's nice to see, you know, people complain about Melissa McCarthy playing the same role in all of her movies, but I this do, was actually different. I do feel like she did a lot of different stuff. And I mean, yeah. my, my favorite kind of I mean, the thing I liked about it is, you know, she she played so many different characters within the character. You yeah, know? like that was kind of the point of, of the character. And, um, I, I have to admit the uh, the one in the black dress who talked about I'm going to cut your dick off and pin it to your head and make you a limp dick. You know, like that was freaking <laughs> hilarious. That was my favorite character, Yeah, which is probably the most kind of McCarthy ish character there was but but yeah but even that like that carried the sort of the bodyguard character was very like um very foul-mouthed and very aggressive (laughs) but not as aggressively weird yeah as some of her other characters Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's often my issue with Melissa McCarthy is her characters are often so like aggressively unattractively weird yeah that it makes me angry because here is a you know woman who looks kind of like me Mm -hmm. on the big screen and that's so exciting and then she's so fucking weird that I can't really feel represented you know (laughs) what I mean and this was I think one of the most normal leading ladies that she has played yeah and um you know and I think that everyone else did a really great job in the movie Jason Statham was oh my god freaking hilarious (laughs) 
and um yeah like it was just it was just should we give like a basic like setup like what the plot was just for people who haven't seen it absolutely yeah so so it's a spy movie it's um you know Mm. james bond it's totally mi it's it's mission or it's um what's the other one it's austin powers yeah it's like it's you know your basic spy plots you know and then that kind of idea um except starring melissa mccarthy so um, she starts out as uh, kind of the, the person in the ear of the main spy dude. Um, you know, so like there's always someone back at home kind of feeding them information, um, being able to like see when gunmen are around corners, which is like, and yeah, that whole opening invasive. sequence is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So she starts out as this character. But then as you know, as you go on, you learn that, you know, she was actually top of her academy class. And she actually and, is like, a full agent. She actually is a full agent. She's just never done field work. So mm-hmm. um, she got some, um, what's the term that Alice and Janney's character uses? She got fridged or yeah, something like that. Fridged. Yeah. Yeah. So. Or no, he sniped you. He That's sniped what she you. says. Yeah, no, because getting fridged is getting getting killed in order to further a man. Yeah, 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 no, that's not what happened. She got, she um, got sniped, basically. She yeah. could have been a good agent, and so yeah. the agent who in whose ear she was, who was kind of her mentor, sort of kept telling her how good she was at yeah. being in his ear, and that's really where she belongs, and so yeah. she never got to go out in the field. Yeah, so... Um, so, you know, circumstances are such that, of course, she does have to get put in the field and, you know, two amazing results. So. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. yeah. And the other thing I loved was like, I loved seeing a large woman kick ass. Yeah. Because that is a thing that is not as far from reality as Hollywood has told us that it yeah, is. Yeah. Like, do physical things, yeah. you know, like actually move. And, and I love that guns. they made it sort of, she was trained and she was amazing at the academy. Like, it, they made it realistic within the plot. Yeah. But then also, like, quite aside from her being a fat woman, I kind of yeah. just loved that she was a woman and that. I mean, every single scene of that movie passes the Bechdel test. The yeah. CIA director, um, Melissa McCarthy's character, her character's best friend, her mm-hmm. character's main nemesis are all women, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. And then the whole bit with Jude Law's spy character having <laughs> sniped her yeah. and sort of relying on the fact that like she has a crush on him to like keep her down and make mm-hmm. sure she doesn't compete with him yeah. was such an interesting feminist statement, too. Yeah, because it... it and yeah, he was he was so gross. I mean, <laughs> the only time Jude Law is good in a movie is when he's supposed to be gross. Yeah, <laughs> like I heard Huckabees. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So it's just oh, and that the, oh, that necklace is so bad. It's yeah. just oh. And then yeah, Statham was so great. Yeah, and also Statham sort of awesome. an interestingly almost feminist way because he was totally the embodiment of like all the ridiculous male spy movie tropes. Yeah. Like all just crammed into his ridiculous character. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> the kind of the big shtick there was he was like, oh, she's going to mess it up. She's going to mess it up. And at every turn, no, he's the one who fucks everything <laughs> over. Like, and she has to fix it. So it's... And his yeah. undercover outfits just got getting more ridiculous. <laughs> Um, also, yeah, some of the fashion in that movie, like, I know the big joke was Rose Byrne making fun of what, what the main character was wearing, but some of that stuff, I'm like, dude, I would totally wear that outfit. That's an awesome Well, I, th- I feel like, and I didn't actually get it until someone else pointed it out to me, but, but <laughs> there's, I feel like there's also a thing there where Rose Byrne's character as the villain is Who's so, amazing. she's very, she does a very so good job, amazing. but she's also, she's very thin, right? And yeah. sort of traditionally beautiful. Yeah. Whereas McCarthy's character is not, right? She's yeah. sort of someone that you rarely see on screen. 
But the clothing that McCarthy is wearing is so much better than the yeah. clothing that Byrne is wearing. And yet Byrne keeps making fun of her clothes. And I feel like there is some kind of a you can read that as like if you're a thin woman, you can wear all kinds of ridiculously ugly clothing and yeah. people will still find you attractive. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas as a larger woman, you have to try harder to yeah. be taken seriously. Like It's definitely. Yeah. And it's definitely got some like interesting kind of behind like, you know, it's not, I mean, it is totally stupid, fun oh, yeah, comedy yeah. spy movie. And you I love that it was R-rated. Shut your brain off. Yes. Yeah, no, I think, I don't know. I just don't even have time for things that aren't R-rated anymore. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, we can have a whole rant about film rating later because, but. <laughs> In a weird way, actually, the success of Spy owes itself to Wedding Crashers. Which is really weird because Wedding Crashers is such an unfeminist movie. Yeah. But Wedding Crashers was one of the first modern R-rated comedies, and they I really suppose, had to yeah. fight with the network to have it be R-rated because the network, or sorry, the like the studio because the mm-hmm. studio was really afraid that no one was going to come to it. Yeah. If it was R-rated, like they wouldn't make enough money. Interesting. And after Wedding Crashers did that, then it paved the way for things like The Hangover and Bridesmaids and all mm-hmm. of that, right? Yeah. So, kind yeah. of a weird connection. <laughs> Well, it's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's a commentary on the whole, like, I mean, sure, the movie is violent, but like, you know, the violence isn't what makes it rated R, it's the language. <laughs> it's absolutely which, the language. Which, to me, is just, like, completely ridiculous. But, I, like I said, you point me on that rant in a different day, because <laughs> we've, got, we've got more things to talk about. Um, but yeah, but Spy was, Spy was great. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Well, I like spy movies in general anyway. Um, and that kind of like heist movies and, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, and so, yeah. I, this one walked the line really nicely. Like it was a comedy, but the spy stuff was like you know good production values, good yeah. writing. Like, yeah, yeah, you know lots of helicopter stunts and. <laughs> oh my god, Fifty Cent. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, okay, so I haven't actually watched the show that the best friend is on. Yeah, Miranda. Miranda. Right? I haven't watched that show yet. I haven't either, but people kept telling me to. Yes. And I've seen a bunch of the of the gift sets online and they seem hilarious. <laughs> so but yeah, but she's definitely like a breakout star in that as well. Like I'm sure I think she's already pretty popular in, in England, but I like think so, yeah. I think that this is gonna be a real breakout Miranda Hart. Yeah, right? I think yeah. it's gonna be a real breakout sort of role for her mm-hmm. um, in the US side of things. She's again like a woman who's not, you know, traditionally good looking. Yeah. You know? Well, she's sort she's, of tall and yeah. thin, and there are some jokes about her yeah. height. Yeah, <laughs> and, <laughs> she was a yeah. big bird at one point. But like, you know, and plus, I mean, Allison Janney is just a national treasure. Just, I love seeing Allison Janney be a ball buster because, yes. like, yeah, CJ yeah. is such a sweet character. <laughs> um, Are we watching the same West Wing? Sweeter than the CIA director <laughs> and spy. True, true. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, West Wing is like her character on West Wing is one of my like, you know, probably top She's five awesome. favorite female characters on ever. Yeah. So. And um, oh, my God, I always forget his name. But the British guy who played the Italian guy who might be a British guy or might be an Italian guy. Yeah. I don't remember his name. Ando. But No. Uh, uh, Aldo. Well, his name in the yeah. movie was Aldo, but I can't yeah. remember his real name. But he was really funny, too. Yeah, he's and a very funny. interesting sort of like. He was the male character that actually saw the worth of McCarthy's character. Yeah. Like, yeah. Even though, you know, he was hitting on everything that moves, but like. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was it was just a really good movie um, and just nice to see. But like the thing is, like, I think the thing I like about it, too, is that even though there's lots of these kind of subtle jibes and stuff about her not being, you know, this traditional kind of person, um, 
it's never like outright crammed down your throat either yeah there's no there's no humor that comes solely from the fact that she's fat yes yeah i mean the humor comes from the terrible kinds of stereotypes they try to shove on her because of the way she looks you know yeah she's a midwestern mother of 10 in this identity (laughs) or she's like you know a divorcee with 18 cats like the things that they try to put on her that's where the humor comes from but then when she's really given her own agency um she comes up with much better stuff you know so yeah (laughs) pun 100 percent intended i feel like that might actually be a really really good moment of transition sure let's transition sam what better way to start talking about peggy carter than a pun about agency um and i just finished watching agent carter haven't gotten around to it yet because i don't want to pirate it but i bought it on itunes okay i can share with you if you like (laughs) (laughs) um yeah just like so good i was a little worried but i was like cautiously optimistic because it had already been renewed for a second season by the time i got around to it and it certainly has a huge following online, not just for Peggy herself, but also a lot of the characters that get developed throughout it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, they were so smart. And I think the fact that Marvel now has sort of equal experience um, putting together TV shows and movies, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was able to create a first season that very much could have been a self-contained like 10 episode story which is what it was if it needed to be Mm -hmm. it's great that it doesn't need to be Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they kind of tacked on it felt a little tacked on I don't know if it actually was a way to sort of slide into the next season Um, but basically we pick up with Peggy a year after the war has ended and Steve has plunged into the ice this is 1946 Mm -hmm. and she's working for the strategic scientific reserve Mm -hmm. which we know one day becomes shield um but despite how valuable and respected she was during the war she's very much now been relegated to like yeah she's an agent but she takes a lot of lunch orders and answers a lot of phones Mm -hmm. and she's getting pretty frustrated um and then just as she's sort of you know lamenting this situation um howard stark shows up right and it turns out that a bunch of stark's really top secret inventions have been stolen from his vault and they're turning up on the black market mm-hmm. as weapons are being weaponized and the u.s government is pretty convinced that like he actually is just selling them on the black market and so he's right. become a fugitive right so he shows up tells peggy she's the only person he trusts and he needs her to run her own investigation to basically become a double agent against the u.s government Mm -hmm. um to help him recover the inventions and find out who's stealing them and for what purpose right so very yeah very good sort of espionage (laughs) plot set up at the very beginning and the person he gives her as an assistant Mm -hmm. is his butler edwin jarvis Oh, Jarvis! (laughs) So now we know where the voice of Jarvis comes from. Mm -hmm. Or the name Jarvis. The voice of Jarvis is Paul The voice of Jarvis is Paul Bettany, but actually they do a pretty good job Mm -hmm. of, like, the actor has a very similar voice to Paul Bettany, so you could imagine within the fiction of the show, a young Tony deciding that, like, Jarvis, who presumably helps raise Tony, Mm -hmm. should be the voice of this new AI. Right. Um, So that's a nice little connection, too. Is he his his butler, or is he his, uh, they call him butler? They call him Butler. Oh. They don't say valid. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, 
Because uh, the butler is who looks after the house. The he does, for the, the most man. part, oh, okay. look after the house. I think he's sort of both in a way. Okay. But there's a lot of jokes about, like, first of all, Jarvis is very devoted to his wife, who we never see, but is yeah. often the reason why he's hesitant to, like, help Peggy out in the field. Ah. So that's very sweet. And then he's <laughs> constantly, you know, making scones or residing windows or doing sort of very domestic things. And then Peggy has to call him out into the field. So does that like shut down the potential romantic tension between the two? If, if he's got a wife that he's... Oh yeah, there is zero. To? I mean, there's zero That's anyway. refreshing. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, the agents in the SSR office in New York that she works in are, you know, they develop into characters over the season. And a lot of them are like huge stereotypical 1940s douchebags at the beginning Mm -hmm. but um there are some redeeming qualities there too like they're definitely um developed as like multi-dimensional characters which is nice Uh uh and there's another female character angie who's a waitress at a cafe that peggy frequents and they're actually just straight up friends like yeah there's no involvement really on angie's part at least at first in sort of all the spy stuff she just likes peggy for peggy and Mm -hmm. um invites Peggy to come live in this like all women rooming house with her which sure. is which also lends lends to some interesting plots. Is that a lesbian paradise? Um but <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> Although no man above the first floor. So. <laughs> Not that Howard sticks to that when he comes around visiting. Um but yeah, it's really it's just so much fun and really high production values, like even I think a little more so than Shield. It really mm. feels like watching a movie. Um very 1940s in terms of like Stark's weird technology and the way the SSR operations <laughs> work. And, <laughs> exactly. Okay. And uh, yeah, lots of interesting female characters outside of just Peggy. Mm-hmm. And she's very much the lead. It's very much about her journey as a person and sort of learning to value herself despite the attitudes of the men around her. Mm-hmm. And also learning to sort of make her peace with Steve being gone as well. Yeah. Um, it's sort of an arc of the season, which is really, you know, he doesn't come into it often, but when he does, it's very fraught and there's a a sense in which you can interpret some of what happens at the end of the season as her finally kind of moving on Mm -hmm. um but yeah there's no real romance plots (laughs) which is really really refreshing to have a show led by a woman that doesn't focus on that aspect of Mm -hmm. her life that focuses on her as a person and as a professional instead Mm -hmm. especially in that time period is really Mm -hmm. cool yeah um yeah i really really enjoyed it cool um and there's definitely little sort of seeds here and there that connect to other parts of the Marvel universe as sure. well. So it's very entwined with everything that's been going oh, on. They all are. It's, yeah. it's totally clockwork at this point. So I'm so glad they're going to get another season. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was great. really, really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, I'm still waiting for the second season of S.H.I.E.L.D. to come out on Netflix. Because mm. um, then we'll catch up on that. That was also very well done. Yeah. Yeah cool they really like (laughs) um movie bob do you know who he is he's the guy that does the rants as as movie reviews um he did a review of ant-man and part of what he was saying in the review of ant-man was that like it's actually getting kind of frustrating that marvel can't seem to fuck anything up too badly Mm. did you end up seeing (laughs) i have not and i'm still on the fence because i'm still mad that it isn't just about wasp yeah but yeah like okay here tangent but Kat was defending it to me as they have Hank Pym in there as the original Ant-Man and he's old and protective of his daughter. And so that's why she doesn't get the suit right away. And I'm like, okay, so within the universe of the story, that makes sense. But the Marvel executives are in charge of Hank Pym and could make him say and do anything they want. Yes. So it still doesn't really explain yeah. why it wasn't just a female-led movie. Yeah. Evangeline Lilly is awesome. She could have carried that movie. Yeah. Like, 
Yeah. And rant. (laughs) That's why I haven't seen it yet. I'm just, uh, I don't know. I've been feeling like such a terrible geek lately. And I think it could just be, you know, my uh, post-vacation funk Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you get into and kind of everything's getting on my nerves right now. But I just, I feel like such a bad nerd because everything that comes out these days, I'm just like, this is so boring. I'm bored to tears by most of the things I see. Mm Mm-hmm. And And a lot of it has to do with not really seeing yourself or other even more interesting and diverse people represented in it. Yeah, no, I've been... I don't need to see more white women either. I've been noticing that more and more too. Um, While we're on the topic (laughs) of this little post-Mindgraves tangent, um, have you seen any of the information about the Stonewall movie? Yeah, I'm furious. Uh, yeah, that that's ridiculous. We should go see that just so we can trash it on a future mind grapes because um, we should pirate it. I'm not, I not like money to that. I'm sure it'll be fine. Roland Emmerich's yeah. a good filmmaker, although yeah. it's strange for him to be taking on something that has so few explosions in it. Yeah. Um, but I just don't get it. Like, why yeah. focus on these cis white men involved in that when the leaders Who of that were, movement were three trans women and a lesbian? Yeah. And, <laughs> like, and why did they have to invent somebody? Yeah. Like. I'm all for historical. They didn't invent somebody who was alive during the time of Harvey Milk. And you know why? Because Harvey Milk was a cis white man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've been following it a little bit. I just, it's again, like it bores me to tears. I'm, ugh, I'm sick of my own stories. I want to hear someone else's. I feel like we are seeing in small ways, but the fact that spy did well, the mm-hmm. fact that agent Carter has been renewed. Yeah. yeah. Those are still white chicks, but Sense8 just got they're getting the kind too. of leadership in within these properties that they don't often get. And so yeah. hopefully that's a step <laughs> rather yeah. than a, you know, destination that's been arrived at. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful for, for some things, but mm-hmm. yeah, I still just can't believe that we're not getting a female superhero movie yet. You know what I chalk it all up to? Mm. The fact that they stopped making Star Trek TV shows. Ah. Because if you don't count Enterprise, there was sort of a through line of, <laughs> of the captains getting more and more diverse. That's right? True. A black woman would have been next, yeah. then maybe someone trans, then, you know, maybe an alien. Yeah. Like, it would have gotten further and further. Would have been better and better. <laughs> yeah. But alas, and alack. All right. Well, while, Moral, while we're ranting, do you want to bring wanna, back Star Trek? Yeah. Do you do you want to start ranting about actual library stuff now too? Yeah, I, right. feel, I feel like I've got the energy generated now. All right. Cool. Let's let's rant a bit. This week we are yet again bringing you a where do we put this? Where do we put this? So, where do we put technology when it comes to teaching? Uh, where do we put? technology that we teach with what do we do when we're we ourselves are teaching technology or you know trying to integrate technology into purposes we already have you know how to repurpose technology or you know integrate new technology into our existing structures and and stuff like that um i guess we kind of came up with this topic a bit on the fly yeah, I mean, it's something I've been thinking about a lot because the library I work at has been going through a lot of really rapid technological change yeah. and watching and I mean, adjusting to it all myself, incorporating it into specifically how I teach and how I help patrons learn, mm-hmm. um, but also watching other staff members react 
to the presence of new technology and to having to learn this sort of new piece in addition to the work they already do or incorporate it into the work they do has been a really interesting, really educational process. So And interesting, educational, but also sometimes frustrating. Yes, that's Um, true too. So we're definitely going to um, talk a little bit about some of the frustrations that we have when it comes to teaching and technology mm-hmm. um so where do you where do we want to start with this one well i mean i guess the obvious place to start because we both are librarians who do a lot of teaching in our current positions is mm-hmm. to talk about how we use or don't use <laughs> technology <laughs> in the classroom like when you're actually teaching some sort of lesson or leading yeah. or facilitating a session on a particular topic yeah well, I guess when it comes to the classes that I'm teaching mostly these days is those kind of, you know, first year intro to research seminars. Sadly, and much to my own disappointment with myself, I use a lot of PowerPoint mm-hmm. and I try my best to use it for good things. I don't just, you know, like put up what I'm going to say on a PowerPoint. I try to do things that actually help to explain what we're looking at. Um, you know, for example, Um, You know, in our library, we have a couple of different search systems. We have a federated search and we have a catalog search. Um, And, you know, so I try to explain the difference between those two searches by using a pond fish shark metaphor that is, of course, put together with some truly spectacular clip art. Um, (laughs) So, you know, and and it's one of those difficult things where, you know, I am a very new teacher. I'm I'm very new to this. And I had a little bit of training in it in library school, but I'm not, you know, I don't have a a B.Ed. or, or anything like that. So, you know, it's, it's a technology that I know is super limited and I'm kind of disappointed with myself for how much I use it, but I, I have a lot of trouble trying to figure out something else to use. You I know? feel like, I mean, I take your point, but I do feel like PowerPoint gets a bad rap. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's pretty robust if you push it a little. Like it sounds like you're using images. You can also use GIFs in oh, PowerPoint. Don't, don't even worry about um, that. Yeah, and so I feel like really fundamentally PowerPoint is a tool. And if it's used badly by people who don't understand how other people learn, mm-hmm. then yeah, you can totally get slides full of bullet points that are mm-hmm. really boring and actually yeah. turn people off of what you're trying to talk about. But fundamentally, it's just a tool for showing something as you're telling about it. Yeah. And so if you use it right, then you know it's no different from a lot of other visual technologies that are used in the classroom. Mm-hmm. I try really hard to make my PowerPoints very image heavy. Yeah. And to talk over them and to, you know, maybe have a few bullet points, but maybe save those for the handouts or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, I feel like some of the other presentation tools that are out there, like, say, Prezi, are kind of flashes in the pan compared to PowerPoint. Like, they're an alternative, but really, I don't know, Prezi makes me dizzy. Yeah, I'm not a big <laughs> like, fan of Prezi. I feel like it makes the whole thing. I, I like the idea of being able to put a map together, and I think for some concepts if you're teaching about you know project management or about something that has process involved Prezi Mm -hmm. makes sense but a lot of the time a straight up PowerPoint is so much easier to put together Mm -hmm. and also if you are dealing with fellow staff members or learners who aren't very technologically savvy PowerPoint's a thing they can wrap their heads around yeah yeah yeah. So that's kind of the only technology that I that's really the the workhorse in in my arsenal. Um, you know, otherwise it's a lot of you know demoing databases on a big screen and then mm-hmm. asking students to um, do it themselves. If I had more time with the students, which I normally don't, but when I if I did, 
I would probably want to do a lot more exercises and a lot more experiential learning and that kind of thing. And to be honest with that, I would probably actually pare down the technology. So, you know, doing things like flip charts, markers, drawing, Mm -hmm. thinking aloud, thinking through things that way. Um, Because I do think that it's a bit of a lost art, especially when it comes to doing things like searching in databases. Students have a really hard time, I think, coming up with other search terms and, you know, they don't know how to do things like build a mind map or come up with other words. So, involves a pen and a piece of paper, which increasingly a are. Paper, yeah. yeah. So, and you know, there are, sure, I'm sure there are online mind map apps, whatever. But like, but yeah, so for what I teach, mm-hmm. technology doesn't really make that much sense. I wish it did. Um, and you know, and we, we did do some, uh, you know, some investigation into what, um, uh, you know, into getting like an interactive whiteboard. Um, mm-hmm. So they're called IWBs, interactive whiteboards, or sometimes smart boards. Um, and so we talked a little bit about getting one, but it wasn't going to be good for our purposes. Um, they're really good for small group learning, but when I'm dealing with a group of 30 students... Yeah, they can't really all like come up to the board and write something exactly. <laughs> or touch something yeah. or whatever. So in terms of those kind of basic... And I'm not teaching real... like I'm not really teaching technology either. Like I'm teaching databases and I'm teaching research skills when I'm teaching technology having the technology in front of you is extremely important but you know yeah I mean in a lot of ways um, we decided really early on in libraries academic and public Mm -hmm. to have computer labs yeah and it was probably a fight at the beginning but it's a thing that has been useful for like decades now (laughs) and continues to be useful there's nothing like sort of Allowing people to get hands-on practice. Exactly. With at least some types of learning. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what about you? You've been using a lot more technology in your teaching these days, mostly through the Inspiration Lab, which we talked about on an episode, I don't know, maybe what, like a month or two ago? Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely still find that PowerPoint is absolutely um, a very useful tool. Uh, for example, we just started teaching a class on apps, just sort of an introduction to like how to get apps for your mobile device and what different ones are that are out there and how to get library services and all that kind of stuff. It used to be a class called Library in Your Pocket. Yeah. And then that sort of declined in popularity because it was really only about the library through your mobile device. So we right. widened it out a bit. Um, and what's been really great there has been We have an iPad Mm -hmm. and we have the apps that we are demoing in the class installed on the iPad Mm -hmm. and we have a, you know, thing to hook the iPad up to the projector in the computer lab. But often it's still more trouble than it's worth to actually demo the apps. And so we have a PowerPoint presentation that has a few screenshots from each app so we can point to it as if it was on a phone mm-hmm. um, and and demonstrate it that way and talk more. And so we have a visual aid, but we're not getting bogged down and sort of getting the app to work and logging into the app and all mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think um, eventually I'd still like to be able to do a little more real-time demoing and, you know, get people to tell me what to search for and whatever. But... Uh, but yeah, the, the PowerPoint works fine because as you say, the more important part is getting people engaged and getting them to, to talk and to think about mm-hmm. what this thing is and how to incorporate it into their own lives, right? Um, I think what I what I really want to see more of at the library is more ways, and we've talked about moving in this direction, 
more ways to use technology outside of the classroom to continue mm-hmm. learning what um, you've started to learn in one of our classes. So maybe mm-hmm. we don't worry too much about incorporating all kinds of complex technology in the room itself, but then we can offer things like badges or learning pathways to sort of yeah. help people, you know, track their learning and continue their learning mm-hmm. and interact with us. Um, and that, I think might be one of the next steps now that the Inspiration Lab is off the ground. Yeah. I think digital badging is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yeah, Aaron Fields at UBC, who's been on the show before, has been yeah. doing some really interesting work on it. Have we gotten Aaron on the show? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. <laughs> that was great. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so... Yeah, I love the idea of, of digital badging. And, you know, if, if I was at the place of work where I am currently, I would probably, you know, try to be revolutionizing things in that way. Um, you know, creating mm-hmm. more things like learning pathways. Because, I mean, it's no secret in the academic world that one-shot instruction really doesn't really do that much. Yeah, really what it can do is get people started and get them comfortable. Like, I think yeah. a big piece of what we do with our digital literacy classes at the public library is just kind of making things a little more transparent for people, letting them know that like, it's not this big scary thing that they can't do. And so you mentioned the inspiration lab and where hands on use of technology in the classroom comes in really useful is I think in a space like the inspiration lab. Yeah. If you've got a mobile device at home, then you can practice the things that you've learned in class on your own. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, It's harder to do that with sound booths and mixing boards and microphones and so forth. And so there's where the really important um, hands-on practice comes. And so I actually just finished, or I'm in the process of (laughs) almost finished, um, splitting up our introduction to audio course Mm -hmm. for the Inspiration Lab because we had introduction to audio recording and editing in the same class. And Mm -hmm. we were finding that even with just like, you know, four to eight people in a class, it still wasn't enough time to allow everyone to really get sort of hands on Mm -hmm. practice, get to talk into the microphone, get to touch the buttons on the mixing board while there's a librarian there Mm -hmm. who can help. Yeah. Because the minute you're sort of in that space by yourself, you get nervous about breaking things or about, you know, what you're supposed to be doing or if this space is for you. Yeah. And so I feel like the the classes and the hands-on technology components in those classes have been really important. It wasn't enough to just say, here's the inspiration lab, Vancouver, use it. (laughs) There are a lot of people who you have to really invite into that space and let them know it is their space and they can use it because they might not be comfortable just kind of walking in and starting on their own. Yeah. And so that's where those hands-on pieces come, I think in really handy. For sure. Yeah. So, what are, so we talk about teaching technology. What about like when we like we as librarians have to learn new technology mm-hmm. and and how do we how do we go about doing that? Like how do you teach yourself new technology? It sounds like <laughs> I feel like I'm in a job interview now because I have actually been asked that exact question. Yeah. How do you teach yourself new technology? I and I feel like I've said this on the show before and I've certainly said it to a lot of patrons lately. Um, I am absolutely one of those people for whom when I get a new thing, a new computer, a new device, whatever, I will just sit down and systematically push all the buttons to see what they do. Yeah. I have a really clear memory of in like 1991, we got our first home PC and I sat down in front of it and I opened every single program and just like checked it out. And a lot of it was just really weird, like 
learning the office suite programs that were like not interesting to uh, like, what was I, nine or something? <laughs> um, to a nine-year-old. I think the only game on there was, um, was I think it was called Mouse. Do you remember that game? No. And it was like, you're a mouse and you're moving these green blocks and you're oh, trapping yeah. the cats and then the cats turn into cheese. Yeah. It was like the only game that came with Windows 3.1 yeah, besides yeah, no, like totally Solitaire. Totally <laughs> like but yes. yeah, I mean, I, I systematically went through no matter how boring they were and like watched all the tutorials and like yeah. tried all the buttons and all the programs. And I feel like, especially with these new devices that come really without any manuals or anything, especially from Apple. Apple oh is notorious God. for not having Everything's manuals. intuitive. I told a woman in one of my, my um, I taught the apps class the other night and I was talking to one of the women who was there afterwards and she was saying how frustrating it is to, you know, not know where all these things are on her device. And I said, I told her about the missing manual series, yeah. which is this series of books about Apple devices. And that's the title of it because literally there, are no, <laughs> there are no manuals. And I get what they're trying to do with that. They're trying to say how intuitive it is, but it really does make it kind of um, frustrating for new learners. And it's more difficult for them to push all the buttons because they don't even know where those buttons are, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and especially for, for learners who are used to a different format of learning, like, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, maybe there is, maybe I'm just being reductionist, but I think there is like a, maybe a little bit of a generational, I mean, not yeah. even generational, but like some people just learn better by reading about it first. Yeah. Like, or by taking notes while yeah. you talk about it. Right. I mean, yeah. we offer handouts in a lot of our classes, but even so we get tons of people taking notes because that's how they learn. And yeah. I totally empathize with that. That's yeah. another way that I learn. I'm, I'm a note taker um, too. So, but yeah, I mean, the thing that I've, I think had to become comfortable with in terms of technology in the library is um, is asking for help and is admitting that I don't know, but mm -hmm. I can find out, which yeah. is something that we as librarians and information staff, I think have an easier time of doing around more traditional like information seeking. So, you yeah. know, if someone comes to the desk and asks about some obscure period in German history, we're able to say, I don't know, but let's find out together. Yeah. But when we're in the lab and someone asks a question about how to do something in Photoshop or why the microphone isn't working or whatever, it becomes harder for some of us to admit that we don't know, but we can find out. Yeah. <laughs> we either sort of freeze up because we feel like we should already know, mm -hmm. or we feel like because the library is this place to access technology that we should already be experts and we're, you know, representing the library poorly if we don't know everything. Yeah. And, and that if you really step back from it, it's the same. It's an information transaction, but yeah. I think it has been difficult for some of us to, to make that leap because mm -hmm. If you're not somebody who's really comfortable with technology, there's this whole kind of stress and emotion piece yeah. that comes and that stops you from seeing it as just another information transaction. Yeah, that's that's something that's always kind of baffled me around technology is how much emotion gets attached to it. Yeah. Um, you know, like I mean and I and, and I'm I'm probably guilty of this as well. Like, but there's there seems to be an overwhelming fear or anxiety or something about learning new technologies that makes people f like feel poorly. I, think, I, I don't know. I think as reflective and critical thinking and empathetic as we are, <laughs> we're also still pretty young in the grand scheme of things. I and I feel like this might be, I've been thinking about this a lot, I've, both with my colleagues and with patrons. And I feel like part of it is just, we're not digital natives, but we're as good as digital natives. In mm -hmm. some ways, 
being like, I, I'm, I'll be 32 this year. And I feel like in some ways, I almost also have an advantage over digital natives in that I remember getting really interested in technology as a mm -hmm. kid and plugging and unplugging all the things and pushing all the buttons. And if you're a kid who grew up just a little bit later than that, you didn't really even have that opportunity. It was yeah. just sort of there and taken yeah. for granted. And certainly if you're considerably older than I am, these are things that came about when you were already an adult and yeah. had already done a lot of your like formative learning. And so yeah. some of it might be an anxiety that's connected to age or to fighting the feeling of being, you know, obsolete, yeah. which, which these people are not. I mean, the thing that, <laughs> the thing that drives me crazy, either with my colleagues or with patrons who, who have this sort of anxiety around it is that I watch them and I talk to them and they are so good at what they do and they're so intelligent and they're so ambitious in sort of choosing to try and learn these things that I want to, I, you know, I want to somehow help them get over that emotional hump and mm. just use the talents and skills and smarts they already have, which yeah. I know they have, <laughs> yeah. to learn this new thing. Yeah, there's, it, it, it feels to me like sometimes people think that the stakes are way higher when they're dealing with technology. Mm. Like, mm -hmm. you know, that there's, there is going to be some kind of major malfunction or major failure people people are so terrified of breaking something yeah and i'm like you guys you don't know it's not that hard like it's not that sorry it's not that easy to break these things yeah like they're pretty robust and if you do quote unquote break it worst thing that's happened is we'll uninstall and reinstall from the start yeah like, and i mean in a library as large as ours we're lucky enough to have system staff on site yeah. so like um being comfortable calling them too is important yeah. right yeah. Not feeling like that's a failure. I mean, I will admit publicly on this podcast right now <laughs> that we just, you know, as as encouragement for everyone out there to admit when they don't know something and ask for help. I couldn't figure out how to get the monitor on one of our new high powered PCs in the Inspiration Lab to turn on. Mm -hmm. Every time I had gone into that particular sound booth, that computer had already been on. Yeah. So I turned on the computer and the monitor didn't come on. And there was no obvious button. And I thought that it was like, you know, how sometimes they're connected to the power of the tower. And when the sure. tower comes on, the monitor comes on. And I tried everything and I unplugged and replugged in everything. And I turned the mixer on and on, on and off. And I tried all these complicated things. And I have finally had to call systems. The systems guys came down. And there's a tiny little touch button just up underneath the monitor. <laughs> and you just tap it and it turns on. Oh. <laughs> and I was a little embarrassed, but like now I know that and can pass it on yeah. to everyone else. Exactly. <laughs> so like, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it has made me, it has made me frustrated and it has made me think how can we train staff especially to sort of get over that but I guess part of it also is respecting when people don't want to do a new yeah. thing um, and that's really important too mm -hmm. and some of the folks some of the colleagues that I'm thinking about are people who I've learned so much from about the operations of the library and about older systems that I have no idea how to use like our back-end catalog system total yeah. mystery to me <laughs> yeah. and I'm afraid I'll break it yeah and they use it with such facility right um and so maybe it is just respecting that there are gonna there's gonna be some fragmentation we can't all do mm -hmm. everything yeah and that maybe as younger members of the profession <laughs> as much as I hate that stereotype yeah it might be our job to kind of pick up that slack and learn those new things yeah and I think for me it for me it gets frustrating when I then also become an outlet for that frustration, mm. you know, because um, there's been times when I've been working um, 
especially uh you know the the helplines and things like that like mm-hmm. there is a there is a tech helpline at vpl um for for any kind of ebook or e-resources problems mm-hmm. um and i've worked that line and often i'm okay if patrons are getting frustrated at me um because you know if technology is not working it can be super frustrating yeah but when i kind of get upset or or you know ruffled a little maybe is when when some of the you know one of some of my fellow people who call in the line for help get really frustrated and mm-hmm. really angry and it's one of these things where it's okay we just need to take a deep breath yeah <laughs> we're gonna get through this we need to teach some like mindfulness meditation around technology yeah. to library staff <laughs> library staff all over at all sorts of libraries could probably benefit from exactly. that because we are we are used to sort of being the people that people turn to for answers mm-hmm. And when you're really used to getting those answers through particular systems and then suddenly those systems are changing or there's new ones that you have to learn, that's frustrating. I mean, I think I think the other thing that I've found that I need to learn or that I have learned in the last little while is to not rush too much. I mean, we yeah. talked a little about sort of overrated technology, right? And how you yeah. can definitely bring too much technology into the classroom and yes. have it not be useful anymore. I feel like there are cases in which I've been like, we have this new thing, let's run with it and incorporate it into all of these processes that we do. And then I've seen other people react to that not as positively and thought, okay, this isn't just that I know how to use this thing or I'm more comfortable with it and they're not. It might be that they actually have a point and that we all have so much to do. It's unreasonable to expect people to just learn this new thing and incorporate it all over the place. Mm -hmm. So we've had that at VPL with... um, we have these things that are called iRovers. You've yes, used them. I've used them. It's I basically remember. a big portable projector screen mm-hmm. on wheels it's with a projector actually. attached to it. That um, is it a smart board? We it never be, use it that it way. It can be used as a smart board. There's a special pen that you can use, ah. but it's really uh, smart boards. If we're talking about overrated technology, you smart can boards. point me in the direction of smart boards <laughs> for a while, but. Um, yeah, I've been using this thing for two years. I didn't even know that that's what it was. Yep. Basically, we use it as a portable projector screen. It has a little um, sort of pull-out counter that you can put a little laptop on, and then you're good to go to teach in different parts of the library or yep. even outside, mm-hmm. as long as you have a power source. Um, and we've used that for ages for teaching all sorts of classes, um, and especially for teaching in uh, one of our classrooms, which is kind of just off the Inspiration Lab. Mm-hmm. And... When we got the Inspiration Lab, one of the new things we got was, uh, people who've been there have probably seen this, there's this really comfy-looking couch area with yeah. like some bar stools behind it, and it's got a nice, big, um, like beautiful HD screen, basically yeah. a TV mounted on the wall. And we can use that either through Wi-Fi or through a hard connection to use a tablet or a laptop to show things on that screen. Mm-hmm. And it's so much nicer looking than the iRover, and it sort of showcases the new technology in the inspiration lab and so when we were first doing tours of the lab the month that opened I was all gung-ho and I was like I'll write up all the instructions about how to use it and put them in the tour script and everybody can do their demos of how to book in the lab and no like it was just too much there was Mm -hmm. so much changing yeah parts of our jobs were changing because of the lab a lot of us were writing new courses for the lab and this was for a few people a place where they were just like nope I'm using the iRover. Yeah. I know how to use the iRover. I'm already giving people a tour of a space that I don't know very well yet. Mm-hmm. And that was a really good learning moment for me yeah. <laughs> to not push my colleagues unduly yeah. when really it's not necessary. Like the iRover is a little uglier, 
but it'll do the same it job. Yeah. <laughs> like, and eventually we'll get to the point where we incorporate the presentation screen. We don't have to do it yeah. all at once. Maybe that's a good thing for people who get stressed about technology in the workplace to think about too. Yeah. It doesn't have to happen overnight, yeah. <laughs> the incorporation of it. Exactly. And, and be honest about about, yeah like it, it's nice that you had people who were saying like this is this is too much for me mm-hmm. um so you i know, always like, appreciate that i never judge people for that i yeah. always think thank you for telling me because i don't want to push you and make you stressed out yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally and it's it's definitely one of those places too where i i think i tend to, to push a little bit of technology too like um, I'm thinking especially or just in teaching situations in general you know a student comes to the desk and they're looking for one thing and they're like oh, I just need to start my research paper so I'll be like alright cool so here's how we look for books and articles and if you need to search the web this is how you should do it and you should be careful for this and make sure you do this and, blah, blah. and you know by the end like you know their si- eyes are the sizes of dinner plates <laughs> and so I've really like had to make an effort in my own teaching to like slow down be like and and the question I, I try to ask, and I'm, I'm trying to think if there's a better way to do it because students do tend to, you know, kind of glaze over at some point. So so I'll ask, does that make sense? Yeah. And then I'll say, you're allowed to say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, you know, a lot of students will just be like, yeah, yeah, sounds good. And it's like, no, I can mm-hmm. tell by the look on your face that you're horrified. And that's, <laughs> I think, a big part of being an instructor in yeah. any context is mm-hmm. learning to make that eye contact. And yeah. like, yeah, or even, you know, a, a sort of informal teacher in a side by side kind of colleague situation. Totally. Yeah, does that make sense is absolutely a phrase I use 10 times a night <laughs> when I'm teaching. And it's really... Um, it's really important to wait for that mm-hmm. comprehension. And if it doesn't come, like be ready with with some kind of pivot yes, to try and help. Like I, I'm sure I've talked about this on the show before as well, but I had a um, history professor at SFU, Luke Clossy, who's probably still there. He's amazing. Take a class with him if you're at SFU. Um, and he, I took a historiography course with him in my last year at SFU mm-hmm. and he would really, he would make a point and then he would look around the classroom and he would make eye contact with a few, you know, people around the room. And if he didn't see the kind of comprehension that he was going for, he would he would pivot and he would make and he would have another way of describing the same point. See, and I've I've actually been on the on the opposite side of that. Um, when I was in university, I was taking uh, some linguistics classes. Mm. Uh, we have a friend who has a major in linguistics. I have so much respect for her. Linguistics is so hard only class i ever got a d in in undergrad (laughs) (laughs) it's like linguistics 103 or something (laughs) linguistics is extraordinarily difficult and i had a ta who was trying to explain these rather complex linguistic ideas but if it didn't make sense she would just explain it again Mm -hmm. and again Mm -hmm. i'm like that's not working i don't know what you're talking about and I I feel like that same technique if we pivot back in this conversation to technology as a learning tool or as something you're teaching people to use often the best way to do that is yes look for comprehension but also ask questions in that context and in the context of hands-on technology just ask people to do it like you're talking about have an experiential moment and one of our um, assistant managers at uh, VPL Karen who's been just amazing through the whole process of teaching info staff to work in the lab one of the things she tells people to do in any reference interaction but especially in the lab is don't touch the mouse yeah talk the person through what they should be doing 
be patient because sometimes it's yeah. really hard to sit there and watch them fumble around when you could take the mouse and do it in two seconds, but don't take the mouse if at all possible. And I break that rule sometimes, mm-hmm. but for the most part, I really try, like there are moments where you need to, where the person just yeah. doesn't get it and you have to show them once, Yeah. but having them actually do it, right? Locks it in motor skills wise and yeah. not just intellectual wise. Yeah. And I feel like that's really important too. And that's a reason why we do need some technology mm-hmm. in our classrooms. Yeah, I find I find when I actually teach the technology courses, I I draw on wells of patience within mm-hmm. myself that I did not know that I had. Because, you know, like when I was a teenager, my mom would always be like, Allie, show me how to do this. Or Allie, what did you do to the Wi-Fi? <laughs> and I can just... Yeah, I, I do not have that patience with my parents, which is why I think that the, the library is such a wonderful place because, you know, we do get a lot of people in library learning technology that, I mean, where else would they learn it? Yeah. You know, where else would this little old lady go to learn how to email her grandkids? Like her mm-hmm. kids don't have time or patience or teaching ability. Yeah. And, you know. We've yeah, absolutely. And not just little old ladies either. I no, met everybody. someone the other day who's quite young and has just gone through a really turbulent period in her life. And she's taking all of our social media and blogging classes because she wants to get involved in like recovery communities online and like yeah. share her story and whatever. And yeah, where else would she go for that? Right. Exactly. So it is ultimately really rewarding. And I feel like that part of it makes the patients part earlier <laughs> easier mm-hmm. but I feel like you're totally right about the family thing and my dad and I that so goes both ways because yeah. he used to be a driving instructor <laughs> and he had wells of infinite patience for his students yes. but when I turned 16 and started to <laughs> learn how to drive I would get screamed at within two minutes of being in the car with oh, them yeah. and it's totally the same with him and like figuring out how to get photos off his phone like yeah I can do it for about half an hour and then I need to leave <laughs> whereas I can sit for you know 45 minutes with someone in the lab and yeah. just help them scan page after page of something and yeah, yeah having that professional distance helps too <laughs> exactly well, yeah, teaching teaching with technology, teaching people how to use technology, it's it's one of these things that I think we all need to kind of sit and think about our own motivations with, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to that emotional response. Like if you are the kind of person who's really anxious around technology, and it's, again, not just the older librarians. We yeah. see a lot of brand new librarians coming fresh out of school who are also really squeamish about and technology. really nervous about the expectations on them because librarians are you know supposed to yes, know all those stuff now <laughs> you're supposed to be a unicorn yeah. um but like i think um it's definitely one of those things where i think a lot of times we just need to take a step back and think rationally about why we have the reactions we do yeah and then you know work a little bit harder to um you know to to take to take the time and to ask questions and yeah. to not Try not, like, I, to say, no, don't have emotions about it. Of course, have emotions about it. Of course, people are always going to have emotions about it. But, like, I think it's important for us to evaluate where those emotions are coming from and mm-hmm. why. And then maybe try to work on how those can be a little bit more productive. Yeah, um, how to accommodate those feelings and still build yourself to a place where you can do the work that you're assigned to do or that you've chosen to do. Like, exactly. I feel like the two pieces of advice I would have are set expectations really clearly with patrons Mm -hmm. and with learners about you know what you're able to help them with and what you might have to refer them or just help them find more information about and then I feel like the other piece of it is if you need more time if you are a person who has to push all the buttons Mm -hmm. systematically before you know a thing yeah then ask for that time right I mean prep it should be part of your job (laughs) and so if you feel like you're not getting that time 
talk to whoever you work for because that's really important too and that makes the experiences of your learners better for sure but uh, as always we would love to hear from you about you know really great interactions you've had with technology and library patrons or technology and being incorporated into your own job or not so great experiences yeah, tell us or, about your challenges too or yeah. if you you know if you are one of those people who is really anxious about technology why do you why do you think that is and, mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing so always love to hear from you guys absolutely so technology and the library not a new partnership and the teaching and and the library not ever evolving one yeah also not new Mm -hmm. lots of yeah but we're all having to learn a lot of new things really rapidly as our services change so yeah if if you have input or experiences that you want to share by all means get in touch with us and let us know how that's gone for you at your library or, or if you're you know one of those people who is a little bit afraid of technology kind of let us know where that where that fear comes from i mean it's it's such an interesting thing to me because, I mean, you're not going to break anything. Yeah, but also, I, I, I mean, in that in that vein, too, let us know how we can support you as colleagues yeah. because not all of us got into librarianship for the tech. Yeah. You and I, I think, sort of did, but yeah. not everybody did, not and everybody. that's okay. Totally. <laughs> we need all kinds. We're not abandoning the other parts of the profession. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Speaking of tech, we've had a lot of Twitter stuff going on. Yeah, there's yeah. been like a Twitter storm the last little bit. It's been um, nice. We like that. We've seen Mary popping up lots and lots, which is shocker. fun, talking about Miss Fisher and how we're all totally in love with it now. Mm-hmm. There's Terry. Yep. Telling us she does indeed recommend us to friends. Very exciting. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> and um, a few people talking about tweets from last week. Evidently, we used the wrong ALA hashtag, but well, then Matthew fixed it for us. So I'll I, go. Take, I take no responsibility for that. And I guess that was like <laughs> right on the heels of um, of the the other ALA hashtag that was trending this week. Oh, I don't know what about their Facebook account being hacked. Oh dear! Oh, that's apparently not good. everyone made it as fun of a time as it could have been. I'm so. sure. <laughs> um, we got some podcast app recommendations for from a couple of people. The book lender tells us he uses just his regular iPod Touch app. Um, I remember that app actually, and yeah. it was like pretty solid. I think more so than some of the newer iPhones. So yeah, for sure. Pass that along to Anna, who was looking for good apps to use. And we also had sort of a storm on here the other day where, and I'm trying to find her name, Julie Shapiro had mm-hmm. written an article a couple of years ago about um, women in podcasting. She calls them sure. WHPs, Women Hosted Podcasts. Whoa. And there was kind of a dearth of them a few years ago, even more so, than there yeah. is now. So she um, had written an article about why that might be mm-hmm. and had also listed some women hosted podcasts people might want to check out. Totally. Um, just like with, you know, the early days of the technology field, I think the early days of podcasting were also pretty dominated by men, but yeah. um, but that's changing. And yeah. um, what was really fun was that, and again, I'm scrolling here to find names, <laughs> um, Ryan P. Randall under at Four Eyed Soul actually tweeted at her to tell her to tell her that about she us. should add us. Which so was that like, was really exciting. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure we don't know you in person. Nope. I don't so think that's so. I don't think so. If we do, sorry. Not that we don't love our friends, but like no. it's always extra exciting when it's, yeah, you know, it's like, just it's like, do you a know fan. Them? I don't know them. You know them? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we're in good company. He also recommended Sex Nerd Sandra. Oh, she's and good. I you, like her podcast. And if you check out our Twitter and check out sort of the back and forth with um, Jatomic, which is Julie Shapiro, you'll see a link to the article, and it's now been updated with a bunch of new whps including us so oh, that's super so exciting. exciting that's so sweet and if you found us through that article welcome yeah absolutely <laughs> it's uh 
I guess it's a pretty good episode to jump in on. It's kind of a classic you and me shooting the breeze yeah. about library talking, related talking shit. Talking the library stuff as we do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, a couple of other nice tweets. One from Sarah. Um, she really enjoyed the Reader's Advisory episode. And I think she was all over the uh, net neutrality episode, too. So yeah. we are reaching our target demographics. Yeah, <laughs> Good to I, know. And I guess you and I also talked about what we're going to do for our next kind of research based because we've been doing these newer episodes where we just kind of go into a topic really deeply. Um, and I think my next one that I want to do is on uh, kind of tour and the deep web and, uh, you know, yeah, that yeah. Kind of and stuff. related to that, just because I've been doing some personal research into it and some professional research in terms of digital literacy classes, um, I would love to talk more about VPNs and yeah. also maybe the role that libraries can play in sure, sure. creating access to protected internet services. Um, yeah, so stay tuned for so, that yeah, stuff. So we'll delve into those. Yeah, so um, what if people wanted to get in contact with us through, I don't know, like say Twitter or uh, if that's a little too public, maybe get our emails or uh, anything like that. Where do, where, what is emails, it? Tumblrs. Is I think there's that? a link to my Goodreads on there. Really? All of it you can find you actually at sslibrarianship.com. Okay. Yeah, I mean the whole Amazon thing, but like also I like list apps. Uh. My dream app, if any app developers out there are listening, would be something that was like Goodreads and... Um, TV Showtime and uh, Flickster, like all like just so I can okay. put all of my media into lists. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> you can find us and all of our contact info, <laughs> including many nerdy things like that, um, at sslibrarianship.com. Yeah. You can also find buttons, buttons. available for purchase. Yes. And uh, donate and button if you want to toss us a few shekels to help us keep doing what we do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so like, you know, this isn't totally free for us it's uh super fun don't get us wrong we mm -hmm. love doing it but um you know we have to pay things like hosting fees and equipment and stuff like that so um if you've got it in your heart to send us a, a couple bucks we're not asking you to donate a lot of money but it would it would definitely help out absolutely um and i guess all that's left this week is to thank jonathan colton as always for the use of our theme song glasses off the album artificial heart Cruise I news? have no cruise news, but um, I did see a very long Tumblr post of tweets between Paul F. Tompkins and someone who may or may not have been a troll that were very entertaining today. Oh. And I'm not usually the giantest fan of his comedy. Now that Melanie's so far away and can't hit me, I can say that out loud. <laughs> um, but, but it was really funny and it made me excited to meet him on the cruise because yeah. he'll be there again this year. Absolutely. Okay, guys, I guess that's it for us this week. If you're uh, heading back to school or starting a new chapter in your school life, good luck. Uh, education is super fun. Um, if you're not, just bask in the glory of not going back to school and, this you know, year. I'm kind of doing it. Keep on learning, which yeah. this episode was kind of all about. Absolutely. And I guess that's it for us then, guys. And so we'll catch you on the proverbial flip side. the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them